Freedom Hut. That much-anticipated and long-delayed study out of Denmark on masks is out with some surprising results, at least to some. More votes turning up for Trump in Georgia, Michigan. What's going on here? Plus, the tech tyrants exposed once again and more insane Turkey Day guidelines. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here with me, as always. I, I know we're, we're going to dive together into the latest uh, over these election results that continue to make their way through the courts. Uh, we're, we're going to spend time on that. But I, I'm sorry, I got to start with something else today. A study that has been waited, uh, waited for by a lot of folks. It's been talked about, delayed for a few months, about whether or not wearing a mask, wear a mask, Cuomo says, about whether or not wearing a mask is effective protection for the wearer now we have to be very specific in how we talk about this and how we discuss this because what they're going to do is look for any lack of precision what the mask mandate maniacs will do is say oh but did you see the the point two five that's not what it says you said that it doesn't protect and it does protect it protects by okay so i'm going to try to be as precise as possible because i read Every word of this Danish study, and there's much broader themes here, friends, than even just whether or not these mask mandates are good public health policy. Um, And understand that there are a lot of people all over the world, but particularly here in in the United States, a lot of people who think they are really, really smart And everybody else who questions them is so, so dumb, not even that they're wrong, but that they're too stupid. They're they're contemptible in their ignorance. So they're not even worth engaging on these issues. That's the attitude. And they're going to have a heck of a time explaining what's going on here, because now we actually have some data. Masks prevent people from transmitting the coronavirus to others, according to scientists in this uh, New York Times write-up of the piece. But a new trial failed to document protection from the virus among the wearers. Now, let's look at this exactly. Like I said, this is important. And this goes to much even bigger themes than coronavirus restrictions. So that's why I find this so important. This is such a, a lesson, such a cautionary tale. But you have researchers in Denmark that they, and they reported it in Annals of, uh, of Science, I believe, is, is the journal that it was published in. So this is peer review. I'm sorry, Annals of Internal Medicine. Pardon me. Annals of Internal Medicine. And this is peer reviewed. And this is involving uh, 3,030 participants randomly assigned to wear masks. 2,994 assigned to the control group. This is actual science. Look at results based upon con- with a control group based upon an experiment. Show the data. 
and use the scientific method and then come to a conclusion and then understand that this can be tried again and again and replicated. See if we get the same results. Try to control for all variables. This is science. The same way the vaccine, the amazing vaccines that are just on the precipice of approval and that were pushed along, yes, by absolutely brilliant scientists, people that can do stuff that you and I would not be able to do with, you know, all the money in the world, right? These guys have real and gals have real expertise and knowledge. They've, they've made these vaccines and they hopefully will bring about this. It's not just a pandemic from COVID, but there's also on top of that a pandemic of, of fear, anxiety, government overreach. So much has come along with this, as I've been saying, would be the case. But they did this the right way. They did a real experiment. Why haven't we seen more of these, by the way? Didn't you ask that question? We're making enormously consequential public policy decisions. We're inflicting upon people the constant psychological and physical irritation and trauma of wearing a mask outside, wearing a mask on the treadmill, wearing a mask indoors now in your own home. That's the latest guidance in Pennsylvania. Cases going up all over the country, mask wearing, higher rates of adoption than ever before in this country. You're not supposed to ask any questions about this. Do it or else is now the attitude. Okay, well, let's look at what the actual science tells us. Listen to the scientists, they say. Okay, well, I read this entire study. It doesn't really take all that long, actually. It's pretty easy read. And you can see it online. And if you will, uh, we'll post a link to it at, at bucksexton.com. Um, and it, it's linked in some of my tweets, which are also posted there. So go to bucksexton.com. And here's what it tells you. Um, and I think it's very important that mask wearing, according to the data, here's, what, here's how the New York Times quotes it. The study did not contradict growing evidence that masks can prevent transmission of the virus from where to others. But the conclusion is at odds with the view that masks also protect the wearers, which was a position just endorsed last week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Okay, they're trying to be very gentle with their audience. Oh, no, it's still true that a mask protects you. As in from me, but my wearing of a mask, if I go into a room with a mask on, okay, according to this study, and there is a person who is covid infectious in that room, they can prove no benefit whatsoever for my wearing of the mask as a protection for me. None. And the way that they did this study so that everybody's very clear is they had, like I said, a few thousand participants on each side. And the uh, the people that were told to wear a mask. Uh, the participants uh, wearing a mask, 42 participants recommended mask wearing got co uh, got covid 53 without mask wearing got covid so it's 1.8 percent versus 2.1 percent difference which is statistically for the purposes of this experiment completely insignificant means nothing effectively you can tell no difference whatsoever so you have thousands of people told wear a mask every day now i know what they're going to say buck but their mask usage wasn't perfect right or some of them did it all the time some did it sometimes okay but 
if masks were really effective with about 3000 people who are at least sometimes wearing masks and you got about 3000 or so people who are never ever wearing masks, right? Like they're like not they're in the non-mask group. Don't you think the difference should be more than oh, what is it? 0.3%? Is that really what we're going for here? And keep in mind, no one even thinks that that's a hard and fast number. It's effectively zero. But even if if there was a 0.3% reduction in COVID-19 for mask wearing, do you think it's worth it? Are you going to continue to wear a mask? 0.3%. What have I been saying to you? Maybe it's 5%. Maybe it's 10%. I've been saying I think it may, maybe does something. This says it does even less. Ah, now we get to the chorus of people. I'm so smart. I read the study. You haven't read it. No, I've read it. I've read it several times. It's not hard to read. Uh, what they'll say is, ah, but this tells us you need even more mask wearing because it's not about you. It's about protecting people from you. And this is what the scientists all still agree on. That's what they'll tell you. A little problem with that, though. First problem. Where is the study that proves that? Where is the study that shows that? I asked the question. I wanted it. I don't want to hear about, oh, but blah, 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 blah. You know, people just mumbling about all the smart people that say, no, no, where is the show me the data, show me the evidence to prove that. Even bigger problem for that argument here. Remember, people ultimately at this point, you have you have people that have their reputations on the line for being super smart experts. And you also have people who don't want to believe that they're sheep and have been doing, you know, look, I've been wearing a mask when I go into stores and stuff because I have no choice. Right. They make you. Otherwise, I can't buy groceries. I can't go anywhere in New York City. So, you know, this is a mandate. It's not a. But there are people that are firm believers and they really look down on other people, even who question this. They look down on them, that they think they are less than that. They're dumb. They're reckless. And this was a huge part of the Trump is responsible for all the covid. Don't forget that, too, because Trump wasn't a a mask worshiper from day one, which not even Fauci was. We can get into that. But because people that support Trump just generally, I think, have a more individualistic view of life and of, of what's important as an American and individual liberty. And they don't like being told by the government where this uncomfortable, annoying restriction on your face all the time and forget about the the separation and really the dehumanizing aspects of this. And, you know, I've hated this all along. I've hated masks all along. All right. And now they tell us, oh, but it's about protecting other people from you, which is so interesting because as even The New York Times had to point out, they had to beat us to it because otherwise it looks like they're trying to hide it. The CDC recently said masks are very effective at protecting you when you wear it. You wear a mask, it blocks the aerosols, it blocks the particles. That was what the CDC was saying a week ago. The Centers for Disease Control. Now we have a study out that says that there's no way to prove that at all. And if anything, it looks like it is just a complete waste. People are going to point to you and say, no, Buck, that's not true. It says they they could. And this is when they do the deep dive statistical analysis of what all the data means. It could reduce transmission by up to 40 percent. Yeah, the same study says it could also increase transmission to wear a mask because of people touching it and stuff up to 20 percent. So you got to maybe up to 40, maybe up to 20. That means they don't know. 
But well, let's let's focus on what we do know. Let's use our common sense. Let's not be shouted down and condescended to by the the mask wearing chorus all the time here. You had about 3000 people told to wear masks, given masks, and they knew they were part of a study about mask wearing and 3000 other people who I'm sure we're happy to sign up for this. Say, no, we're not wearing a mask. About the same number of people got infected in both groups. Okay. Now, they also will say, oh, Buck, but at that time in Denmark, there wasn't a lot of mask, you know, adopt mask wearing wasn't really that widespread. They, they can look at all the flaws and they can try to keep justifying their public policy as much as they want. The point here is that the evidence for a mask protecting you from the inhalation of aerosolized COVID-19 virus, the best study we have this year shows that there is no benefit to you of wearing that mask. Now we have to move to the secondary question, or the next question, which is, is there a benefit to other people if you wear a mask? We are told to take that on the advice, we're told to take that based on the expertise of the scientific consensus. And if you question it, you're a bad person, you're a moron. There's no, there's no reflection, there's no humility in this conversation whatsoever from that, art, from that group. They pretend that this never happened. It doesn't matter what the evidence has shown in this one. We're still right. We're just right in a different way. Sure. Why was the CDC wrong about masks as a protective mechanism for you from infection a week ago? And why was the CDC's initial guidance now nine months ago? Why was their initial guidance that mask wearing is not a good policy and it is not effective at all? What has changed between now and then? Use your own common sense. Look at what is being proved. What have I said that is not true? Find one thing. Everything I am telling you is a matter of either historical record or of the data and of fact. But people don't want to believe that they have been fooled, that they are easily led by the consensus. And on this one, on this story that masks are a protective shield for you from the virus in the air around you, from people using that, the people that have been saying that based on the science are wrong. They are wrong. Now they can do, they can do a lot of dancing around. Oh, but maybe it's inconclusive and there's other things. Why do we think this Danish study was delayed for months? You don't think that there was a lot of wrangling around this to try to avoid releasing it? People don't like looking dumb. Even if it's just, and maybe they are, maybe that does protect from aerosolized virus that goes to somebody else, right? If you wear the mask, right? Maybe it contains more of your, that's possible, I don't know. But I do know that the other thing they were telling us until last week and that they would have made fun of you for bringing up in public, they were wrong about that based on what we know now. And here's the other part of it. We learn more in time. Science is about testing and retesting assumptions. Data, fact. These are about what is true. And sometimes we think something's true. We find out that it's not. That's a part of being an intellectually honest and worthwhile entity. But you think the control freaks out there are even are going to give that a, a moment's attention? Of course not. They were just wrong on this one. And you know what they're moving on to? We're right about the other thing. Shut up. Wear your mask. Well, they keep that one going until we see what the studies tell us about that. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, I say I can't enforce the order because I think it's unconstitutional. And in order to explain why it's unconstitutional, I just have to take a second, Brianna, and explain what he can do. Uh, Constitution, the Bill of Rights allows a balancing act for the safety of society and limiting individuals' liberties. So let me give you the easiest example. You can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater if there's not a fire. And so the government can limit your First Amendment freedom of speech rights. But we, under the case law and under the Constitution, the governor absolutely has a right to limit how many people can go to a bar or a restaurant, wearing face masks in public buildings and private businesses. He can also limit what time they must close. But under the Constitution, the order is very vague, and it says 10 or less people is the most you can have in your private residence. Well, I don't think that the Constitution allows for the infringement of your own number, the number of people you have in your own home. So I started that uh, position. So he has authority to do a lot, but not to tell us as law enforcement to go into people's house and count who's there. That's New York, Fulton, New York's Fulton County Sheriff Richard uh, Giardino on the just monstrously tyrannical and stupid Cuomo mandate about how many people are allowed in your home over Thanksgiving. You know, we can fight back about their pseudoscience. We can fight back about the uh, the lack of honesty around all these issues. And remember, it was all part of getting everybody freaked out. And, oh, my God, Trump didn't do enough. We have to get rid of Trump and all this stuff. We can fight back against these things. Or we can continue to be told how many people are in our homes for Thanksgiving. And don't think it just ends when the vaccine comes out. We're going to have to have months and months and months of basically no new cases. If you allow the Democrats and the Biden, uh, the Biden apparatus and the people in the media to determine when it's safe for you to be, maybe, maybe by next Christmas, they'll stop telling you what to do. You want to waste all that time? You think that's fair? You think that's smart? This whole thing is out. It's outrageous telling you how many people are allowed in your private home because of a, an aerosolized virus. What do we think tyranny in America would look like if not this? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think there will be any humility from the various public health experts who have been going on TV and have been claiming that anyone who even questions the constantly shifting medical consensus about how to deal with COVID-19, and that's a fact, it has been constantly shifting. They say, oh, it's because we have new data. And usually the new data is we can see that what they were telling us to do didn't work. So they tell us to do something else based on the data, but it's never an admission that the previous declarations they made were incorrect. No, that, that part of it does not get any attention whatsoever. That part of it doesn't really matter. No, it's all still about bashing Trump. It's Trump supporters' fault, you see, that COVID is still spreading. That's what the left wants you to believe. It's Trump supporters' fault that there have been huge spikes in European countries that have mass compliance numbers that are very high, that have gone through a series of different lockdowns. You see, it's, it's just those evil Trumpsters that are behind this whole thing. It's really the Trump virus. That's what they want you to believe. It's not the China virus, it's the Trump virus. Uh, these people are insane, but they also believe that the president worked with the Russians to steal an election from Hillary Clinton. They also think that that's true. So what can you say about that? 
Um, but here's an example of the kind of uh, derangement uh, derangement that you will see on television. This guy wanders into he's an emergency room physician. He's wandering into to terrorism analysis, you know, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. All we do is find, uh, you know, a guy with an MD who's a huge lib. And all of a sudden, the person's on TV telling everybody about who sh- who you should listen to, who you shouldn't, the, the whole the whole thing. It's uh, it's it's outrageous. Um, this guy's a leftist, by the way. This guy's an you go online, you check him out. He's a leftist. But this is what you get on CNN as a medical expert. Uh, play whatever that is. Fourteen. No, they need to can him. Um, I mean, I one of the things I can't wait for when when the inauguration happens is that he'll be gone. He's a radiologist, which is great. It has nothing to do with public health. He probably hasn't taken care of a patient in 30 some years. Um, you know, he's, he's a right wing ideologue who is going after my governor, who's doing everything she can, despite a hostile state legislature and Supreme Court and our state who has taken away powers. They're doing everything they can. We know when the president tweeted liberate Michigan uh, after that. We had a plot to kidnap and murder Governor Whitmer and and basically take down the whole state government. You know, so now he's tweeting rise up. I mean, there's not much difference between liberate and rise up and whatever he claims to say. These are these are uh, call to arms for people in our state, one of the worst states for domestic terrorism. Um, So, you know. I'm, I'm grateful that Governor Whitmer has said, listen, she's not going to worry about her political fortunes, about reelection or about, you know, any kind of uh, attempts against her. She's going to do what's right and try to protect us. And she is so much here that is misleading, dumb, wrong. But, you know, this guy just find a doctor somewhere. You know, this guy's a doctor in Michigan. And so now we all have to believe everything that he says about everything, including terrorism. I've actually worked professionally in terrorism. This guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but he's allowed to have his opinion, right? Well, that's fine. Uh, the whole thing about the terrorist plot against Governor Whitmer, you know what they always leave out of that now? The same right-wing pro-Trump terrorists that they've, uh, that they've rounded up and said were plotting all this stuff. First of all, their plots were absurd. They were never going to come to fruition. Nothing was ever really going to happen. This, was what off- this is what often occurs when you've got an informant, an FBI informant placed among people who gets them talking a lot of talking a lot of idiocy. And, yeah, they're bad people. And I don't care if they're going to end up getting in trouble here. But the point is uh, that they weren't really, you know, at the actionable phase of any of this at all. And they also wanted to one of them wanted to uh, assassinate. This is based on the FBI affidavit in the court, uh, FBI sworn statement in the court. One of the plotters wanted to assassinate President Trump. So these are the pro Trump people that are also planning uh, a lethal plot against the president. That's that's what they leave out of this because that didn't get out into the court record for about a week. But it was good for Governor Whitmer, who's a moron, to go around saying, "Oh gosh, you know the president's mean people were all plotting all the mean stuff against me." Oh yeah, so we heard all that. But they leave that out that these people were psychopaths and they hated the president too, and the stuff they were talking about was while violent and and evil, also nowhere near actually ever happening. Um. But nonetheless, this guy's waxing philosophical. But that and trying to tie Dr. Scott Atlas is inciting terrorism, which is what happens when you are opposed to lockdowns. If people were having a real conversation about this, if people were willing to look at what's true and what we've seen and what's real, they wouldn't have to resort to such disgraceful smears. Also, I mean, putting down Dr. Atlas for having a background in radiology, radiology, radiologists are MDs. They diagnose disease, including 
through using you know x-rays and mris and they they, they are part of the medical profession and he was a uh, he was head of i think it was neuroradiology at stanford medical school for many years so yeah no he doesn't know anything about public health though the guy doesn't know anything about the medical system at all. No, he's not on a par with a guy who's in ER doc in some hospital in Michigan. Yeah, no, has no idea. I mean, really, we're going to get into a credential battle. Let's be honest about what we're talking about. But, but even beyond that, they, they, hate, they hate Dr. Atlas. And yet, what is he saying? That the 10-person mandates on Thanksgiving are absurd and people need to stop with this. They, it is absurd. And if you don't think it, it's absurd... You're a weak-willed, weak-minded person. And if you don't think it's absurd, you should just look at what's going on with the people who put these policies in place and then break them and know that they'll get away with it. Oh, but they're so concerned about public health. Somebody who tells you, do what I say or else people will die, and then does the thing that they tell you not to do or else people will die is an unserious hypocrite who clearly does not really believe the things they are telling you. Or they're actually a monster, but they don't really think you're going to kill people any more so that if you are out living your life and, you know, you could pass any number of diseases to somebody without knowing it. I mean, mean, we could talk about the flu, but that I know that sets everybody off. That gets them all upset. Uh, But this is where we are, friends. Um, The more information we have, the more we realize that the public health authorities in this country have just dramatically failed us. They have completely uh, collapsed on us here. And, and when I mean public health authorities, I'm not talking about doctors who are doing a job. I'm not talking about nurses who are doing a job who are trying to provide care to people. That's great. I'm talking about those MDs in our midst who are making national policy, who are harnessing the force of the federal, of the state, of local government which ultimately means a willingness to take your stuff and lock you up if you don't agree. That's what government force is. The, the MDs who have been pushing those decisions have been catastrophically wrong. We have not gotten the benefits that they have promised we would have, and we have certainly had all of the downside. Plus, there's Joy Behar out there who says, you know, you know, do- Dr. Dr. Atlas... He's, you know what he is? He's embarrassing. Play 11. Well, as the unofficial spokesperson for the uh, social security crowd, let me say to Dr. Atlas, (laughs) this is not my last Thanksgiving, you embarrassing quack. He's a neuro, he's a neuro radiologist, Joy. Whatever happened to first do no harm? This guy is, he is a, he is a menace to society, this man. Of course, Trump picks him because he only picks the best people. But I mean, come on, Uh, you know, don't, don't listen to a radiologist when it comes to a virus. Please, ladies and gentlemen out there, do not listen to this (laughs) quack. He's a quack. He's a quack. Quack, quack. (laughs) Neuroradiologists, if you Google it, they have further certification than just radiologists and that they also treat abnormalities in the nervous system, spine, head and neck. And they can treat diseases by means of image guided surgery. So, yeah, no, not really. A, not really a doctor, just a doctor who diagnoses neck, brain, spine injuries and can do surgery to help fix that. But other than that, not really. I mean, it's not like. You know, 
This guy's like lower than a podiatrist on the medical food chain, right? No offense to podiatrists out there. I'm just saying. I know they get a lot of heat. This is nonsense. But listen to Joy Behar. She knows it's not my last Thanksgiving. What he's saying is if you're 86 years old, are you not going to see your grandkids? Are you not going to see your family this Thanksgiving because you're afraid of a virus that you probably won't catch by the numbers? And you might. But you also in any given year could die from any number of things that you could catch from just living your life. Do you this is a question for people to answer themselves. Do you want to live your life or do you want to hide in fear? If you want to hide, that's fine. That's your right. Right. That you have a right to do that. I there is no notice how there's no coercion from our side to force people to leave their homes, force people to go out into crowded places. No, but in the other direction, of course, they have no problem with the utilization of state force to make you stay in your home, to make you avoid other people. This does get down to very basic philosophy about about the government. Um, And notice that there's so little, so little uh, emphasis put on the pain that they're causing people here. Oh, you know, I know she's supposed to be so nice. And, oh, gosh, yeah, she's a lovely lady. Governor Whitmer up in Michigan. Oh, yeah, here she is talking about that small business. I'm just crushing the small businesses like a little bug under my boot. But, you know, I feel bad for them. Play 16. The restaurant industry has really had a tough year because of COVID, because there's not been a national strategy. And we've seen COVID just explode across the country in waves. This is really driven by uh, our epidemiologists and our public health experts that tell us it's inherently dangerous with the kind of community spread that we have all across Michigan and all across the Midwest and frankly, all across the country. The inherently dangerous situations are when you are inside with people from a different household or many different households for a prolonged period of time with masks off. That's what happens in restaurants. And that's why it's really going to be critical that the feds get their act together and give us some stimulus support for these small businesses, for these restaurant workers. I I have incredible empathy for what they're struggling with. And yet we have to follow the epidemiology, the public health experts, and make decisions that combat the spread before our hospitals get overwhelmed and before we hit 1,000 deaths a week in Michigan. Because that's what the modeling is telling us where we're headed right now. But we're wearing masks and we've been social distancing. So why are the models telling us? Oh, you mean the models that have been wrong always during this whole thing? The models that keep being wrong. We have to listen more about this. The government cannot protect you from an aerosolized virus that is at pandemic stage that is already in, you know, it's all over the place. You know, they do these, they'll write these news reports about how you know, the Chinese government says they found coronavirus on beef sent from halfway across the world that arrives in china i mean this this is what we're dealing with but the government says just listen to us just let us take away your constitutional rights and we'll protect you it's a lie they they can't they can't do it but they won't admit that they won't admit that if, if people started to believe that the, there were limitations on what government could do to protect them uh, that would start to change their underlying political philosophy in ways that would not be helpful for Democrats, for statists, for the left. Um, but it, it's it's never it's never that they were wrong. It's just that we didn't do it well enough. Oh, get ready for you know I've been saying this. N95 masks. That's where it's really at. Okay, maybe the cloth masks weren't as good, as good but it's N95 masks. Or you got to double up on the cloth masks. Or do what they're doing in Pennsylvania now where they have a state mandate that you have to wear a mask inside your own home. Inside your own home. That's right. You know, 
you have hundreds of thousands of people that die every year from heart disease. We could also have a mandate that you uh, can only eat 2,000 calories a day and have to do 100 push-ups before, before you shower every morning. That would make people probably healthier in the aggregate, would save a lot of lives. Is that constitutional too? Under emergency health powers? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, if there's no further business to come before the Senate, I should stand adjourned under the previous order following the remarks of Senator Brown. Without objection. President. Senator from Ohio. I'd start by asking the presiding officer to please wear a mask as he speaks and people below him are, I can't tell you what to do, but I know that the behavior. I don't wear a mask when I'm speaking, like most senators. Well, I most senators. So I'll, I'll on, but I don't need your instruction from. I know you don't need my instruction, but I, there clearly isn't much interest in this body in public health. We have a president who hasn't shown up at the coronavirus task force meeting in months. We have a majority leader that calls us back here to vote on an unqualified nominee and, and at the same time to vote for judge after judge after judge, exposing all the people who can't say anything, I understand, the people in front of you and the presiding officer, and expose all the staff here, and the, the majority leader just doesn't seem to care. That's what mask shaming's really for. Making long political statements afterwards. That was Sherrod Brown um, uh, in the Senate. Someone's getting up to speak. No one's around them. No one's near them. But, you know, can you wear a mask? Why aren't you wearing a mask? Ah, yes. Notice how it, it turns people against each other so quickly, too. It creates this, this immediate tension. And the people that want this as a policy, they want everyone to do it. Oh, we got to do it to protect me. They forget that. The chance of the person that they're mask shaming actually having COVID-19 just based on the numbers is less than 1%. So 99 out of 100 people that you go around and you mask shame, you're, you're actually telling a healthy person, why aren't you wearing a mask? And I understand they said this is why they want the policy, but we're really just getting down to it. And in each individual incident, it's a little bit like walking around to somebody who, you know, is littering and acting like, you know, the world is going to run out of clean water and our oceans, all the sea life is going to die because you just dropped a gum wrapper on the street, right? That's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll get I'll get it next time. But, you know, maybe don't put this all on my shoulders. And that's not even really the case. You're saying it to somebody who didn't even necessarily litter. You don't know, right? <laughs> because if they're innocent, if they're healthy, it doesn't make any difference. I just, this, this whole thing has gotten so absurd. But remember, the moment that this became a Trump thing, the moment this became a Trump versus non-Trump thing, uh, all fair argument and all data and everything else got pushed aside because this was this whole the COVID response, the COVID pandemic, all weaponized to try and defeat Donald Trump in this election. And look, it, it may have ended up being successful, friends. We have to deal with that reality. They may have been able to do it. And I know people say, oh, Buck, they didn't really vote on COVID. No, the country's mood was changed the the feeling of this place was changed no question about it as a result of of covid and a huge amount of resources and time had to be spent by the trump campaign trying to explain to people that they were doing everything that joe biden says he would do they just don't go around making a big thing of how it's all democrats fault that we have covid which is what they say about republicans <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, would you look at that? 
more ballots in the last 48 hours found, ballots that had not been counted, no particularly good reason for that, just didn't get counted, more ballots that were not counted, and who wants to guess whether they go majority for Trump or Biden? You want, you want to take a guess? Ah, yes, it turns out that they have found not one but two batches of ballots in Fayette County and also in Floyd County, Georgia. Now, Georgia is a state where you've got about a, what is it, a, a 15,000 vote margin, something like that. So on, on Monday, we found 2,600 new votes in Floyd County. And now they've also announced that there were 2,755 uncounted votes on a memory card in Fayette County. So over the course of two days, you got about... 5,000 uncounted ballots that just show up in Georgia. Now, remember, we're told it's over, be quiet, go home, nothing to see here. Trump lost. That's what we're told. But if you if you find over the course of two days, 5,000 ballots that were just not not included in the tally at all. And at least in one of those two batches, they went two for one Trump. Okay, so two for one going to Trump. They've cut down the Biden lead to under 13,000 votes now in that state. I just want to know, at what point do we get to say, wow, we really do need to make sure that we cross all the T's and dot all the I's here. At what point is it obvious to anybody who's being honest that the only way forward here is to make sure that we do check for every legal ballot that we make sure that illegal ballots are not counted and yes that we find and rectify irregularities fraud all of these things we're talking about 5,000 new votes found in a state with less than 15,000 for the margin of victory shouldn't that matter to everybody isn't that important is it surprising to anyone I'm going to ask you this is it surprising to anyone that we have a circumstance that we have a situation where we're finding, okay, where we're finding ballots and there were all these changes that were made this year to the way the election was going to be done. Of course, this is what's going to happen. When you have last minute changes, all this additional mail-in balloting, all these, let's be real, let's be honest, all these games that Democrats were playing to try to shift the election playing field in their favor. Yes, there are going to be ballots that are found that don't count or that haven't been counted, rather, and that shouldn't count if they're illegally cast. So isn't this exactly what we should be expecting? But remember, if you have any questions about this election at this point, if you just want the process to continue so that we make sure that we have certainty, you are a conspiracy theorist, you're a bad person, you're a Trumper, and you're awful. That That's what the... The dominant theme, the dominant narrative, certainly from the media and from the Democrat Party is. And to this, I just ask, well, how do they explain this in Georgia? How do they explain the 5000 votes that they had to fix with a glitch in Michigan? If every vote counts, then doesn't that mean we want to try to get every vote to be correct here? So illegal ballots not counted because that cancels out legal ones. I think this should be very straightforward, but 
We got a lot of challenges here, friends. There's what we know and what we can prove. There's what looks fishy and what we'll be able to definitively show in a court of law and get a judge to take action on. There are many steps here, many phases that have to go a certain way for this election to be overturned in Trump's favor. And I've been telling you, it, it's it's a long shot. It's a long shot. People who are saying otherwise, I don't think they're being honest with you. I think that there's a, a lot of, oh, I'm going to be the most magorific. I'm going to be the most pro-Trump, even in these last weeks here, just to show everybody my my devotion to the cause, even though I, I believe that this is going to go for Joe Biden, but I'm not going to tell anybody that. I'm here telling you, I, I think Trump's chances are not good at this point, but that doesn't mean we don't fight. That doesn't mean we don't figure out exactly what happened here to the best of our ability. It's about this election and the next election. And this is meaningful. Uh, you also have in Nevada uh, this, uh, this allegation, which came from Adam Laxalt. I think he's the GOP chief there. Play four. What we are providing today in this lawsuit is that many of these votes were improperly cast. We are presenting today in our formal contest that there are north of 15,000 people who voted in Nevada and another state. We are presenting that people voted in people that had already done a change of address and left the state outside of 30, the 30-day 30 requirement, their ballots were still cast. We are also presenting dead voters. Those are all verifiable allegations, one way or the other. Shouldn't we know? Shouldn't we have a real understanding of what's true here and what's not? What's the argument against this? Oh, that Trump hasn't conceded soon enough? That Trump is a risk to our democracy? No, what, what we do know is that the, the left's answers, whenever we try to pose these questions, always revolve around a, a version of orange man bad. Trump is a unique threat. Trump is uniquely awful. And because of that, the Democrats say, he doesn't even really get to have his process. We don't get to have the president wait uh, to see what actually happened. He's supposed to get ahead of it and say, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I lost this election. He's not even allowed to get his due process. That's what they want you to think. That's their their position on all of this. Because he's the worst. That's why Don Lemon's out there. Don Lemon. Monsieur Don Lemon. He is out there uh, telling people that this is a this is about what your grandkids think. Play 10. It is all local. But imagine those local folks having the influence. They have they could have had a very big influence on a national election on who was yeah. president of the United States. I think that, um, I, you know, I heard uh, some folks on your air talking about how how history is going to look back on this. And I think a lot of people are going to be embarrassed o over time when they look back and say, how did I do that? How did I fall for that? What happened to me? What was I thinking in that time? Wrong. You may want to win. 
You may want to, you know, whatever it is, you have, what do they call it, uh, liberal tears. You may want all of that. But your grandchildren and your kids will look back and say, ooh, what did grandpa did? What did do? What did, what did dad do? What did mom do uh, in this moment? And, and realize that you were on the wrong side of history and that you possibly were teaching them the wrong thing. <laughs> it's not all. It's not ridiculous. Think about that. Yeah. Your grandkids are really going to say, excuse me, granddaddy, where were you? During the great recount fight of 2020 in those weeks, what side of the issue were you on? No, that's not going to happen. Your grandkids will not care. Nobody will even remember this in six months. We, we will remember who the president is, and we may suffer the consequences if, he's the, if it's the wrong one, but no one's going to remember that you said, yeah, can we just make sure every legal vo- vote is counted? That's that's a very standard, very uh, defensible. In fact, it's the only really defensible position here. But this is what they do. They create these narratives. It's a version of the journos always saying, you know, my five year old came to me and said, you know, Dad, why is it that that Republicans don't understand the unique threat to our democracy posed by Donald Trump's erosion of norms? It's like now your five year old didn't say that, journo, but nice try. Right. They do that all the time. This was a thing that was really popular a couple of years ago. Blue check journals would lie about how their their toddler was waxing philosophical about the unique threat to the Constitution posed by President Trump because libs for some reason think that what comes out of the mouths of children when it comes to politics is really important and, and powerful. You know, if a kid says it, well, then we really got to pay attention. Of course, this is absurd, but. That's what they do. This is also why they made such a big thing of Greta Thunberg, who at age 16 was traveling the world lecturing people on climate change. Yes, that's right. I I take advice about complicated multinational climate change treaties from a 16 year old. Yes, that's an intelligent move for an adult. Sure, that's that's really smart. But no, the, the libs, it's all about the emotions, the feelings, the theatrics around all this. And that's what Don Lemon is appealing to here. What will your grandchildren say about this moment? Uh, your grandchildren are going to say, did you get me you know, the latest video game that I want for Christmas? They're not, they're not going to care about what you said here. And it's, and it's laughable. I mean, it's absurd to believe otherwise. Um, but that's one way that they do this. And that's one way they try to convince you that you have no ground here whatsoever to stand and say that you want every vote to be counted. And if we're going to talk about embarrassment and people that have gone down the rabbit hole, people that have believed things that are foolish. Has anyone at CNN, have any of these journos apologized for their role in the Russia collusion hoax? Not one. None of them have. None of them have apologized. None of them feel any any sheepishness or, or any shame for running around for years with the ridiculous story that the president of the United States was a Russian asset who worked to steal the election from Hillary Clinton in 2016. Many of them still believe that. Many of them still think there was Russian collusion. And that's how they avoid the embarrassment. I mean, what should be the deep intellectual embarrassment of falling for that. Uh, but now they're telling us, oh, if, if, you, if you stand and fight now and want the final counts to be accurate, you're going to be embarrassed one day. No, I, I don't think I'll take adv- advice from them on this. I also don't think I'll take advice from them on embarrassment, considering how often they accuse Trump and Republicans of of more or less being Nazis. 
Here's CNN's Christiane Amonpour with the fanciest accent you've ever heard on television in your life. Listen to me because I'm so sophisticated and international because of my accent that obviously comes from a very expensive boarding school in England, but I'm even more international than that. Uh, but here, here she is telling everybody, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that Trump is just just like the Nazis at the top of my show on CNN International Play 9. And finally tonight, a comment on my program at the end of last week. I observed the 82nd anniversary of Kristallnacht, as I often do. It is the event that began the horrors of the Holocaust. I also noted President Trump's attacks on history, facts, knowledge, and truth. I shouldn't have juxtaposed the two thoughts. Hitler and his evil stand alone, of course, in history. I regret any pain my statement may have caused. My point was to say how democracy can potentially slip away and how we must always zealously guard our democratic values. Yeah, so I compared Trump to Hitler and I realized that that's deeply offensive to some people because it's the dumbest, most ridiculous comparison imaginable and it undermines and underplays the true evil of the Holocaust. So let's just move on. There you go. CNN's perhaps best known globally anchor. Total imbecile, but doesn't matter. No one's even going to remember it in a week. But they want to lecture you and me and tell us to be worried about what our grandchildren will think. Uh, I don't care what the libs think, that's for sure. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Mr. Dorsey, does voter fraud exist? I I don't know for certain. Are you an expert in voter fraud? No, I'm not. Well, why then is Twitter right now putting purported warnings on virtually any statement about voter fraud? We're we're simply linking to a broader conversation so that people have more information. No, no, you're not. You put up a page that says, quote, voter fraud of any kind is exceedingly rare in the United States. That's not linking to a broader conversation. That's taking a disputed policy position. And you're a publisher when you're doing that. You're entitled to take a policy position, but you don't get to pretend you're not a publisher and get a special benefit under Section 230 as a result. That link is pointing to a broader conversation with tweets um, from publishers and, and people all around the country. No, it's taking a position. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ted Cruz understands what's going on here and he's got them and they know this. I mean, big tech in this election, because remember, it was really social pressure from their peers, from their friends, from the people that they want to like them at Facebook, at Twitter, at these organizations. They uh, were insufficiently devoted to getting Hillary elected by suppressing information and by stacking the deck in favor of Hillary against Donald Trump. So this time around, they, they tried to find ways to rectify that. And the way they choose to rectify it is by challenging certain statements, by uh, showing that what the president says, even the president of the United States, this is disputed. They didn't do that for the Russia collusion hoax for four years. They haven't done it on any number of things. They definitely don't do it for, you know, Fauci and company. I, I wonder now, are, are they going to censor people who say that the, the biggest study yet done tells you that 
Mask wearing does not protect you from virus. That's what the study did say. It could not prove that. And that was what it set out to prove as a study. Are they going to make are they going to mark that as sensitive content that, you know, could lead people in the wrong direction? Friends, we've seen this now. We understand what they're really doing. We understand what the game is that's being played. And we also see that the the tech totalitarians don't even recognize what they're doing when it's exposed, when we see it. They don't even really recognize it as wrong. It's just, uh-oh, we'll have to figure out another way to do this suppression. Remember the Hunter Biden stories that the, that the New, York Bo- uh, New York Post broke and then were blocked by Twitter and Facebook right before an election? I mean, this is an in-kind contribution. It was to the Joe Biden campaign by journalists, so-called, or by tech platform in this case. And here's what Dorsey says about the New York Post account being suspended. Play six. When Twitter is editing and censoring and silencing the New York Post, the the newspaper with the fourth highest circulation in the country, and Politico, one of the leading newspapers in the country, is Twitter behaving as a publisher when it's deciding what stories reporters are allowed to write and and publish and what stories they're not? No, and that account was not suspended. Um, It fell afoul of the hacked materials policy. Um, we realized that there was an error in that policy and the enforcement. Hold, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking hours. at the tweet from Twitter that says your account has been locked. You're, you're telling me that this is not an that's accurate. A, that's a lock. That's a lock and can be unlocked when you delete. The I, I understand that you lock your account for posting true information. That's where we are with the tech. Judge. I remember when the lib said that this was a conspiracy a few years ago. There was any bias in big tech. They were all liars and idiots. Now it's all proven. But guess what? Big tech doesn't want to change, friends. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Some fiery moments yesterday on Capitol Hill as uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook was once again facing lawmakers, including Senator uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, who is with us now from the great state of Tennessee. Senator Blackburn, thanks so much for joining. I am thrilled to join you. Thank you so much. So what was the single biggest moment that you saw that people should be aware of yesterday during those those hearings? You know, they went on for quite some time. Most people didn't have time to watch it all. Are, Are we at a point now where big tech realizes, Senator, that some of their practices have to change? I think the biggest moment from yesterday was one that came through the collective of looking at this hearing book. You saw them pretty much admit that, yes, they are doing some blocking and throttling and censoring, but they think it's okay because they are getting into the business of publishing which through their statements, they admit that they are doing uh, this because they're editorializing. Well, editorializing is creating content, and that is not where they are supposed to be. They are information services. They are to be the new town square. Town squares need a cop on the beat to make certain that you have the point, the counterpoint, and it's done in a civil manner. And, Senator, what would you like to see happen now? Because one of the questions that keeps coming up 
after these hearings is what now uh, we've seen, whether it's Jack Dorsey of Twitter, uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. We, we see these tech CEOs, uh, the you know, CEO of Google, they'll go on Capitol Hill and they have these moments where we see exactly what you're saying, that they're blurring the line between platform and publisher. There's clear bias. They used to say there wasn't bias. It was just algorithms. Now we know that's not true, but it feels like not a lot changes. How can things change, Senator? How would you like to see them change when it comes to big tech? There are two pieces of legislation that I have authored that are moving through the process right now. One is in Commerce Committee, and it is a privacy bill. And it is pretty much centered around legislation I started working on eight years ago. It's called the Browser Act. And what the privacy bill will do is to have one set of privacy standards and federal preemption. That's for the entire Internet ecosystem. Then it's going to have one regulator, the FTC. It is going to put in the consumer's hand, the online user's hand, the ability to opt in if they want to share data and information and then to opt out on non-sensitive information, things like tracking. And so that way it will change big tech's approach. It is going to change their business model, but it's a good change. It is in favor of the consumer. Now, the second bill moving through is one that does reform Section 230. It is a good piece of legislation. It is called the Online Freedom and viewpoint diversity bill and senator lindsey graham and senator roger wicker the chairman of commerce and the chairman of judiciary have joined me on that bill it would be very specific as to who can use the liability protection in section 230 and when they can use it it would also eliminate this subjectiveness that big tech hides behind and says well we have con- community standards. Well, we have terms of service, and it would be very specific in the reasons that you have to exercise some kind of censorship, because it would spell out it has to be unlawful conduct. It has to cause um, incentivized terrorism or lead to personal harm. Those would be the reasons for being able to censor something. That bill is scheduled for a markup in Judiciary Committee tomorrow. We're speaking to Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Senator, what is the Democrat response? I mean, from your colleagues in the Senate, for example, with, with what you're talking about here, are are some of them on board? And, and for the ones who aren't, Why would they object to what seem like very common sense ways to address big tech censorship that we all know is there? Well, money, money, money is the reason. And the majority of contributions that have been given by big tech employees and their CEOs have all gone to Democrats. And so the Democratic Party has been very hesitant to tackle these issues that consumers want to see addressed. So they're just looking to keep things exactly as they are. That's that's discouraging. That's right. But I the think we understand. The status underst- quo serves them well. Right. Well, we saw that, obviously, with the suppression efforts in the, in the run up to the election. And 
Twitter removing that or suppressing that story about uh, Hunter Biden. And so it's all out there for everybody to see. Hopefully we'll be able to advance the legislation and the changes that you're talking about. But big tech is very powerful and they have a lot of sway, not just with money, but obviously also with perception and moving the national conversation in ways that really the mainstream media, I think, is jealous of these days. Facebook and Twitter are much more powerful. But, Senator, I also want to ask you about the other big issue this week in the news going on now for a couple of weeks. These recounts, lawsuits, the continued battle over who really won based on legal ballots this last uh, presidential election. You have some experience not just running for U.S. Senate and and being in office, uh, but you have experience working on election commissions. How concerned are you based on what you've heard so far about the legitimacy of the, the vote counts in some of these states that are that are contested still? Well, and I have no doubt if every legal vote was counted and every illegally cast ballot was thrown out, President Donald Trump would have four more years. What we have seen happen is some of these communities were not careful in mailing out the ballots. Basically, what they did was to mail one to everybody. It was like a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes notice. Fill it out, send it in if you want to participate. And that is not what is intended for our right to vote. And everybody got one. You know what? I have talked to people that got three and four at their home because they went to former residences. I talked to someone who lives in one of these blue cities, uh, and they had been in their house 11 years. The previous owner, the only other person that had ever owned their home, died 12 years ago. That deceased individual who's been deceased 12 years, received a ballot in the mail. What you're going to see happen, this issue will pivot to the states, and these state legislatures are going to have to put some things in place that require these local election commissions to clean up their roles and to make certain that only individuals who are allowed to vote are getting a ballot to vote. Now, that would be for the future, which is obviously very important. We all want to have faith in our future elections. But, Senator, for this most recent election, just based on on what you've seen and what you believe some of the, uh, let's call them proven irregularities already have been and the possible fraud that still remains to be uh, conclusively uh, proven, is it is it too late? Uh, did we essentially uh, did the Democrats with these changes because of covid in in the way that we did voting? Will it be almost impossible to prove the kind of things you're talking about? The lawsuits are filed. There are some by the Trump campaign. There are some by individuals who witnessed irregularities. And they are gathering their information. They have from now until the time the Electoral College will meet. And prior to that, your states are going to be certifying uh, these elections. I mean, look at the fact that Georgia found... 6,000 ballots that had not been counted. And out of that, the majority of those ballots went to Donald Trump. See, certainly seems like if they could find 6,000 here and 6,000 there, uh, there's a lot more reason to dig into this and make sure that we got the right vote count in the end. Senator Marsha right. Blackburn, everybody of Tennessee. Senator, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What do the Democrats think of the usage of big tech? We were just uh, speaking about this before. We had Senator Blackburn on to talk about this. What do the Democrats think of it? They like it. You have to remember, this isn't something that we've identified that both sides can agree is a problem. Uh, The problem is that now people understand what's going on because they much preferred the old way. The Democrats liked it when their news stories and their information uh, would be shared freely all over the Internet. And somehow, you know, Twitter and Facebook would decide that they wouldn't share uh, conservative stuff or that they would throttle it or they would shadow ban it. And people didn't really know exactly what's going on. I can't even tell you how much on on Parler, for example, the Parler app. And I've thought this was true for a long time. I mean, there are blue check journos that have that have pretty big followings on Twitter and nobody knows who the heck these people are and nobody cares. But they've got hundreds of thousands of followers and they've had them for a long time. And I remember I've been on Twitter now for what going on nine years and it took a long time to build up the following that I have right now on Parler. I've been on Parler for a matter of months. I've already got 200,000 followers more than that. I mean, and it just keeps going up and up and up. And everything I post on Parler just goes off like a rocket ship because people are, oh, they're interacting with it. They want to share it. They want to. I've had so many things on Twitter. I go, wait a second. This is not. How is this not having more of a reach considering how it's reacted to by the people who do see it? The algorithms have been skewed against us. It's obvious. That's another reason why they they hate the, the competitors that are popping up now. What, what what way could you prove before that conservative content was being throttled or shadow banned? How, how would you be in a position to show that if the only platforms you could go to were controlled, completely dominated by libs? How? Well, you couldn't. Now that's starting to change a little bit. And the Democrats are realizing that this was the sneaky advantage that they had had. We figure out after a while, it took us a long time, that the mainstream media is effectively a Democrat super PAC. We know that. People maybe fought that idea in the 90s. In the early 2000s, they would say, oh, no, come on, journalism, journalism, it's a real thing. Now, I mean, if you think that journos are unbiased, you just don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's not a defensible position. It's laughable. It's silly. But big tech started to fill in that void for them. Big tech became the advantage that they had, that they pretended they did not have. Right? Big tech became this thing that they would point to and they'd say, oh, well, this is just algorithms. It's not people making these decisions. It's not that there's something that we've done or we've decided being the CEOs and the people behind the scenes at these tech companies. It's just the way it is. It's the computers doing it, basically. That's what they were saying. And think about how much that's helped things like uh, grow. Like, I mean, the Huffington Post is a trash heap. I mean, this is a garbage website. Always has been. But had enormous assistance from Facebook. You've seen some of these uh, these liberal news outlets that have grown tremendously in their reach over time and become prominent and you know brought in a lot of revenue, although they usually spend a lot of revenue, often more than they bring in. And it's because they have free reign on Facebook. 
You know, somehow we've created a media ecosystem in this country, and it's not just news media, but a media ecosystem where the left can do whatever it wants, say whatever it wants, no consequences, gets maximum exposure on, on both the new and the uh, established platforms, and can count on blue chip advertisers from large, from major corporations, major companies to advertise with them, to stick by them. On the right, we have to worry about boycotts and there's the brand damage. Meanwhile, we represent half the country. But we have to deal with all these additional challenges and all this other bull crap that's going on. And we still, in the marketplace of ideas, crush those fools on a whole range of issues. But they have far more places to make the argument. And they have far more people who are wildly overpaid to do things that they're not even that good at, but they just have more slots. They have more places that are more easily monetized because of these built-in advantages for the left. I mean, this stuff, I understand some of this might sound a little bit like inside baseball to somebody who works in media, but this stuff really matters. This is how Joe Biden, that clown, can even think about winning an election against Donald Trump because of these advantages that I'm telling you about. And it extends to other issues as well. It's not just on the presidential election. I and mean, here's Senator Coons talking to Jack Dorsey about how there are other areas where he wants, I mean, the Democrats want censorship in their favor. They think that Facebook and these other places, there's a home court advantage that's supposed to that they're supposed to have all the time. And Senator Coons of Delaware is one of them. Play five. I just I, I cannot think of um, a greater harm um, than climate change, which is transforming literally our planet and causing harm to our entire world. Uh, I think we're experiencing significant harm as we speak. I recognize the pandemic and misinformation about COVID-19, uh, manipulated media also cause harm. But I'd, I'd urge you to reconsider that because helping uh, to disseminate climate denialism, in my view, um, further facilitates and accelerates one of the greatest existential threats to our world. So censor climate change questions, climate change opinions on your platform because it's an existential threat. There is only one acceptable opinion on climate change, and it's whatever the heck they say it is. Whatever the Democrat Party consensus is on any issue, whatever the left and the statists decide, you'd say, well, hold on. What, what, what about if, if, if somebody says that climate emissions have to be reduced 50 percent in the next 30 years, but I say, no, we can get there to the same place if we reduce it 25 percent, because of the following technologies that are already getting cleaner. Are they going to censor that? The answer is yes. Under their logic, they have to censor that. One approved opinion, just like we're in communist China. One approved opinion allowed. That's it. Other opinions shut down because they're an existential threat. Listen to these little totalitarians. Listen to the way they talk about these things. The free exchange of ideas, intellectual discourse, free inquiry. These are under assault by the Democrat establishment in America every single day, openly now. This is a fight for the most basic intellectual freedom, and if we don't take up our side, we will lose. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're the machines... Not tabulating the votes correctly.
Was there a problem here with the vote count that has to do with the software, the companies involved and other allegations out there? Who better to ask about this than somebody who gets to the bottom of things and has for a very long time? Sarah Carter, my friend, joins us now. She's the host of The Sarah Carter Show. SarahACarter.com for her latest investigative journalism. Sarah, thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me on the show, Buck. It's so great talking to you, even though these are really trying times for a lot of Americans. Yeah, they are. So, Sarah, what from what you're seeing in your sources and what you've been able to uncover so far, what are the biggest concerns right now in uh, you know, with regard to these these vote counts? Well, I think there's a number of concerns. One, we've heard that there have been serious issues with allegedly with the software and the voting machines that were used in this election. That would be Dominion Voting Systems and Smartmatic. Um, Smartmatic was the company that developed the software for everybody out there who's trying to figure out all of these new companies and words. So Smartmatic allegedly developed the original software that Dominion Voting Systems is connected to. Dominion Voting Systems is used in, uh, I guess, 40% of the American electorate uh, used Dominion Voting Systems in this general election. That's 28 states. So that's a lot of votes, right? That's a lot of people that were using this system. Now we have Sidney Powell, awesome attorney, probably one of the best litigators um, in the country right now, uh, obviously a big champion of President Donald Trump, also defending Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. She has been in his case um, against uh, the uh, former Obama administration, DOJ, Robert Mueller trial. Now she's on this. Now she's focused on helping the president uh, and helping the administration of what they believe and what they are alleging is systemic fraud in the general election. Now that's Sidney Powell's argument. Uh, Jenna Ellis is on the team with her. Uh, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani is heading that team. Uh, he's also a very good friend of President Trump. Now, what they are saying is that the system is rigged in such a way that it is almost impossible to prove, although they say they have proof in affidavits, it is almost impossible to prove fraud. Now, they are saying this because they have been speaking to sources. Some of these sources I have spoken to as well. Um, I have seen and read the affidavits, and now those affidavits are public, and uh, anybody can go out there and read the book uh, and go to my website, sarahcarter.com. You can see the story. And what Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis are saying, look, we are battling for every legitimate vote, every legitimate vote. This is a huge problem, they say. We need to investigate this. I agree with them. There is one affidavit of an un, the, the name is actually removed for the protection of this person, somebody that was actually very close to former Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez. And you're probably thinking, like, what? What does that have to do with us? You know, well, according to this affidavit, the Smartmatic software was developed in the early 2000s at the direction of Hugo Chavez. In his election, he wanted to be able to develop software that would allow him to steal the election without anybody being the wiser. The person in this affidavit, and I have spoken to people directly connected to this person, and I have, I have known about this for, for a little bit more than a week now. This person was uh, directly connected to Hugo Chavez and in the room when Hugo Chavez asked for this software to be developed with those developers. 
according to him, it is the same software. There's an underlying like mirroring image of this software that actually allows the opposing political party or the party that is aware of what's going on to kind of watch the votes. At least that's what happened in Venezuela. There have been issues with this software, with Dominion voting uh, software. Texas would not use it because they felt that there were too many problems with the software um, and they felt that it was hackable. Now we know there's a Princeton professor. It's out there on uh, YouTube. He was on Fox News. He's an IT expert. He showed how he could hack Dominion software within seven minutes um, if he had access to the actual machine and he showed how to do it. Uh, Dominion is claiming that... Uh, that, th that these allegations are completely false and that their software is valid. So now there's a big battle in the courts, and that's going to be Sydney's. Another side of this election problem, and I'll, you know, I'll try to make it quick, but is what's happening in Georgia and what's happening in Michigan. In Michigan, there are a lot of claims right now, and the numbers are showing it, that there were way more voters than people registered. How do they explain that? You can't. That's a big problem. In Georgia, what we're seeing is, um, and I just actually got off the phone with some people in Georgia that were marching actually to the state capitol. They are uh, chanting, stop the steal. They're actually out there with Democratic Congressman Vernon Jones, who's a big Trump supporter to the chagrin of all the Democrats. And they're heading to the secretary of state, uh, to his office, demanding to speak with him. Uh, because right now in Georgia, there have been thousands of votes, certainly over 3,000 votes that have been discovered that were never processed. So basically they found memory cards, you know, um, that were never uploaded to these machines, Dominion voting systems, that were just sitting there. One of them had thousands of votes, like 2,700 votes. So those would have been 2,700 voters that were disenfranchised um and then they found it in another county and then they found it in walton county and i could tell you i was talking to marcy mccarthy she was an observer actually um in a DeKalb county uh georgia she was on the floor calling me all the time telling me what was going on whenever she had a break and uh, it was very frustrating for her she couldn't even see what they were doing uh, those were the counters uh, tabulating the votes. She felt like it was a big mess. Uh, she had told me, she's in a story that I posted on sarahcarter.com. She told me, look, I've never been more frustrated in my life with an election than I've been with this one. It is so disheartening. So I think what we're seeing across the board, we saw what happened in Nevada. There's issues in Nevada. We saw what's happening now in Arizona where Maricopa County um, uh, Congressman Andy Biggs is kind of like, I don't know how this happened, but we want to recount in Maricopa County because everybody, everybody and their mother basically thought that Maricopa County would go to President Trump. Now, that's not to say there was any voter fraud at all. Maybe it did go to Joe Biden. We don't know. Um, uh, allegedly, the, the first count, it shows going to Biden by a small margin. But Congressman Biggs is calling and he's head of the Freedom Caucus. He's calling for a recount there. He may not get that. Um, so there's a lot of issues across the country, Buck, that people are looking at. Um, it's very complicated uh, because whether or not these end up in the courts, whether or not it's all provable, whether or not the state legislatures, you know, Republican state legislatures should be able to do something. If they really believe that there was election fraud or that the, there was so many irregularities, it's up to the states, too. They can stop this, whether they have the courage to do that or not. 
Um, who knows before they certify the votes, but, but that's the issue now. And, uh, that's kind of where everything stands. Speaking to Sarah Carter, investigative journalist, host of the Sarah Carter, uh, show podcast, Sarah, just explain this part to me, if you would, the, the Sydney Powell allegation, I mean, I'm hearing about all this shady background for Smartmatic and okay, but do we have any, that that a software is hackable is not the same thing as saying it was hacked. Absolutely. What is Powell alleging exactly that they that someone broke into the software or that someone had access to the tabulation and then knew to call a halt and then to add votes in later? And this is where I think we need to have greater clarity. Oh, I totally agree with you. I think there absolutely needs to be greater clarity uh, with this. Um, there are allegations, and Sydney's brought this up, um, and I have not seen proof of this, so I'm just laying it out there. But Sydney has been talking to sources, and uh, there are a number of sources out there um, that have, I guess, expressed that there was fraud in connection with these voting machines. But as you have said, proving it is quite different than just making allegations. You and I both know you're an intelligence expert, Buck. Um, I've covered the intelligence community for some time. We understand that you know none of these machines are safe, that we are constantly in a battle with either enemy states or even within our own country um, to ensure the sanctity of, uh, I guess, and integrity of our servers and our computer systems and even our own privacy, you know, because we could get hacked by anyone. But I think like it's very difficult. On the other hand, these are huge companies. These are global companies. Um, they have had issues in the in the past. Look, Smartmatic in 2018 was called out in the Philippines. Uh, they they were not happy with the way the elections were handled in the Philippines. Uh, they didn't feel that uh, Dominion voting systems, they that came out. Uh, which was connected to Smartmatic, was trustworthy. Um, they felt that there was something wrong with the with the elections in the Philippines even in 2010 before. Um, and there were a lot of reporters actually calling people out on Smart about Smartmatic. Um, but remember, this is a time where people are 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 so upset, where the nation is so divided. And I think the the worst part of all of this is that, I mean, well, thankfully we have a peaceful, usually peaceful transitions of power. Um, and that's what we, we hope for in a democracy and in our republic. But people are so divided now and so angry that I feel like when I talk to people about the election, especially Republicans, because remember, there were over 73 million people that voted for President Trump. And that's a huge number of people. That's more than any Republican president has ever had in the past, right? So there are people that are very frustrated and angry. They feel there was just no way in their minds, like, how could Joe Biden have won this election? No one even showed up to his rallies. We were out there in full force. How could there possibly be more voters in Michigan than are registered? Now, that needs to be investigated. What happened in Nevada? Why did they see more people um, that... They're allegedly there. I mean, and Rick Grinnell has brought this up, the former ambassador to Germany, as well as DNI, that in Nevada, they saw a number of votes uh, where people were um, from out of state had voted in Nevada or had voted twice. So I think everybody's fighting for that 
for that vote, for that legitimate vote. And, uh, you know, the American public, I think, and has faith in the system overall in general. But I think with what we've seen over the last four years, especially what we've seen with the weaponization of our intelligence agencies, with the weaponization of the FBI um, against this president and the Lincoln Project and all of these Republicans that hate President Trump, right? A lot of people are doubting even this election. They're saying, you know what? This president was so hated by the establishment that it's absolutely possible that anything could have happened. And I really believe that because of that, because of the actions and because of the lack of trust in our government institutions now, that has just spilled over into the U.S. election. And now you're just seeing the ramifications of that, people marching in the streets, people not believing in this election. And in a way, I'm a little bit afraid of where it's all going to go. Sarah, before we let you get back to uncovering the truth, and we're speaking to Sarah Carter, go to sarahacarter.com for her latest investigative journalism. Sarah, how much faith can we put in Sidney Powell's allegations just based on what you know of her as a lawyer? And, and just, you know, can we take this to the bank on her credibility? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've known Sydney Powell for years. She's brilliant. She's smart. She's a fighter. And I have never in my life ever spoken to Sydney or seen her work on something as vigorously or even even with only a small bit of intent, you know, and, and not be telling the full truth about it. Sydney has the sources. Sydney knows what's going on here. Now she has to prove it. Right. And I I know based on the affidavits that she's already obtained, based on the information that she still hasn't made public, that I can take this to the bank. But remember, Buck, we've been waiting around for how long now since the election in 2016 for the Department of Justice to do anything about the weaponization of these bureaucracies, agencies that we put our trust in. And that abused the system, abused the American voter, abused the president of the United States of America and his family and his friends and anyone that was around him did whatever they wanted. And no one has yet to pay the price. No one. So I think the issue for us as Americans is like we're waking up now. You know, the beast is rising and people are saying, wait a minute. Is there a two-tiered system of justice? Does it even matter if we bring the proof? Would it even matter if we showed up with all of the ballots that were not fed into the system? Would anyone even care? Because this is the problem that I have. There are people that hate President Trump so much, people that may have had integrity in the past, that if they had the chance to remove him, I think they would do anything and everything they could to do that including breaking the law. I believe that. We heard about that. Yeah. We saw that happen. I think and, I... Uh, you know, so for, for me, I, you know, I, I hope that she can prove it. I, I believe in her. I have faith in her. I know it's a little bit longer of an answer than you expected, but, but I wanted to make it clear. Sarah Carter, everybody. SarahACarter.com for her latest. Follow her also on Twitter and uh, listen to her show, The Sarah Carter Show. Sarah, my friend, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Buck. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the guidelines you're seeing are Orwellian. Um, Let me start by saying the CDC has put out considerations as we prepare to go about Thanksgiving, about socially distancing, wearing masks, doing what you can. There's a whole list, a page of very good considerations. And in that, they say, uh, we're not recommending a certain number of people, but we are giving considerations that you should put in place. And I think that's the American way. The American people know how to protect their health. We've uh, dealt with COVID for many months, but it's Orwellian in a place like Oregon to say, if you gather, uh, in numbers more than six, we might come to your house and right. arrest you and you get 30 days of jail time. That's not the American way. Uh, we don't lose our freedom in this country. We make responsible health decisions as individuals. Amen to that. Going to arrest you, they say, in Oregon. They're going to arrest you, or at least they can. And I hope they don't do what they say they have the power to do is not the way we function in a free society. That's not the, what the constitutionally guaranteed liberty is by being an American. And yet that's where we are. People are OK with this. We're, we're, there's police power now that's going to be used to prevent you from gathering with your family because of the very small possibility that you may transmit a virus for which there is a very small possibility that you will die. Ah, OK. Explain to me again how this won't be abused in the future. Explain to me again how we aren't a society that's increasingly being conditioned to just shut up, do what we're told by the experts and the elites. No matter how often they're wrong, no matter how much they violate the Bill of Rights, doesn't matter, right? Do what you're told, peasant. When do we say it's enough? When have we all had enough? I'm already there. Who's with me? Who wants to start something else? Who wants to push a movement here? to nullify these unconstitutional insanities. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Don't forget to check in at BuckSexton.com for all of the latest and greatest on uh, on our site there. And uh, please bookmark it. Check in on it. It's a place you can listen to the podcast of the show. It's also a place where we're posting news stories. I'll be posting editorials. I have been. I will be posting more. So please do make that a part of your daily routine. So I want to check in on our buddy, Producer Mark. Hey, Producer Mark, how you doing? Good. How are you, Buck? I don't like that it's 30-something degrees in New York. I didn't sign up for this. That's why I just stay indoors. The probably temperature's good, always the same in here. Probably a good move. But, you know, if you move to Pennsylvania, I know you're in New Jersey. Move to Pennsylvania, you got to mask up indoors now, too. In my own apartment? Yeah. If, if anyone else is there, that's the rule. No, thank you. Yeah. That's not I, happening. I, that's not happening. That's right. That's not happening. See? They're just going to keep pushing until we say... Blank off. We should get one of those little beep buttons so I can just go beep whatever I want to say something that I'm not allowed to say. We bleep it. I can always just edit it in. That's true too. But I'm just saying we uh, we got we got bleeps. We got things I got to say. I'm just uh, hoping if, uh, New Jersey doesn't mess up indoor dining before my anniversary. Oh, you going Italian? No, we're going to like a some trendy place. My wife wanted to go. 
Eh, you know, she's you know. the wife. She wants exactly. to go to a trendy place. You got to go. She to wants romance, romance, romantic. Fine, whatever you want. Yeah, I, I mean, you don't really strike me as generally a scented candles guy, but you got to make the lady happy. I actually do like scented candles. Really? Is what, that so? What's wrong with them? I don't know. You just There's nothing wrong as... with your house smelling nice. Hey, okay. Hey, you know, producer Mark, full of surprises for everybody. Good to know. So, all right. Now, uh, let's see what the folks think on the roll call here. Let's get into some of this. Ralph. Hey, Bucket producer Mark. Input on the student loan section of the November 16th show. I have a teaching degree through student loans. I've made $300 a month plus in monthly payments for 15 years and have only paid $10,000 toward the principal, which is $49,500. I had to go to college to get a sufficient job uh, to raise my family. The current interest rate is 5.75%, which ensures the loan will never be paid off in my lifetime. I'm 65 now. I'm not a liberal and feel I have a worthwhile degree in a field that pays very little. The loan structure needs to change to a bank loan format so loans can be paid off in a timely manner. Otherwise, the student loan system is another unlimited income source for the feds. Shields high, signed, not a privileged 18-year-old kid. Ralph, look, I, I sympathize with your, with your situation, my friend. And, and these loans, they are, they are non-dischargeable. So, so that you have to remember, they're non-dischargeable and anyone can get them regardless of credit history or ability to pay. So in that sense, they're not normal loans. I mean, when you go to get a loan for a house, they want to see income. They want to see bank statements. They want to see, you know, your job. They want to see all these things because they're taking a risk. You don't want to do this. But if you take out a mortgage for a home and then you can't pay it, you can walk away from that. You know, you could mail in the keys to the bank and say, here you go. Now, that'll ruin your credit for at least 10 years, and it's not a good thing, and they'll send collections after you and whatever. But you can discharge it in bankruptcy usually. I mean, I don't know that much about this, but I do know that it is possible to walk away from a house, and then the bank is stuck with a home that they have to sell. And, you know, that, that, that's how this goes. But there's a risk factor into this for you and for the bank. With student loans, it's, okay, we're going to give this to you. We're going to give you this, this amount of money for your loans, and this is the rate you're going to pay it back at, and you can never get out of this. It's really, it's effectively impossible. I mean, I've heard of some stories of getting out of it, but it's basically impossible. Well, that's not the way that the market's supposed to. That's not the market working. This is, this is government policy enacted through a loan program. Uh, so, Ralph, I, I sympathize with you. Um, getting a, a, you know, a teaching degree through student loans, I mean, if the government really is going to do what it's doing right now, what they should say is if you go into certain public sector or public interest work, there'll be a government forgiveness of your loans. But then what you have is effectively the taxpayer subsidizing certain degrees. And Ralph, I'd be very curious. Maybe you want to write in and tell us. And I ask this question in all honesty. Could you have done your teaching job without getting a, a, an advanced degree? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Um, could you have done your teaching job uh, that we, I'm, I'm assuming you got a master's here. I, I, though I'm trying most to most public schools do require a master's at least eventually. Right, right. Oh, that's ex okay. So exactly my point here. So if you need a master's to teach, do you really? That's a a certification requirement. But I, I'm asking you, Ralph. Do you think that you could have been a great teacher without that master's? Because that's the way to really rethink it. And I'm not saying this is on you. I'm just saying the system. Why do public schools require this? Isn't a bachelor's degree enough to teach kids, especially if you're going to if you're going to specialize in a subject? And 
So that's what I mean. I, I think there's a lot there. Brian writes, just saw an article saying that regular and double stuff Oreos that are gluten-free will be here come January. Thoughts? Great show as always, gentlemen. Shields high. Well, Brian, that's good news and bad news. Good news in that Oreos are delicious. Bad news in that I'm trying to fit into my suits again, and it's coming along slowly here, and double stuff Oreos are not going to help in that process. Well, you have to Mark, make two Are they purchases. your favorite cookies? Um, favorite package cookie? Yeah, absolutely. And the yeah. chocolate cream Oreos? Oh, they're the best. Yeah. What are the... Uh, do you remember a cookie's called Hydrox or something like that? Do you remember that from a long time no ago? No idea what that is. They're like the rip-off Oreos. You know, they're like the fakey Oreos. You like know what I'm the, talking about? The Newman yeah. Zones Oreos, like the, the healthy yeah, organic exa- Oreos. Exa- it's yeah, like, it's like an off-brand. It's like the off-brand Oreos. Yeah, they're not as yeah. good. Yeah, no. Oreos, I used to eat them because I used to be a gluten eater for the first 30 years of my life, and uh, uh, Oreos are delicious, I will say that. And if you, the problem is if you dunk them in milk, they're so easy to consume that you can knock off a whole sleeve of Oreos and you're just like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't hard. I don't even want to know how many calories are in a sleeve of Oreos. I don't even need to need the milk. I can just knock off a sleeve of Oreos. That's why I don't yeah. keep them in the house. Yeah, no, they'd be dangerous for me to have around Oreos. I'll just I'll just uh, especially the gluten free Oreos that are coming out. I got that has to be a treat that I see at people's houses for parties or something. And then I'll have one or two and that's it. All right. But who's um, buying gluten free Oreos for a party? People that know that Buck is coming to their house, producer Mark. How yeah, but then that? they're going to be like, hey, Buck, take the rest of this because we're not going to eat them. That is true. Yeah. I do end up getting sent home with the, with the gluten-free products that people buy to be kind to me when they know I'm coming to their house. And then I eat them. And, you know, crackers and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's the life. What can I tell you, friends? Don, Buck and Mark, regular listener of your program since March. Mark, you do a great job. I have read Gates of Firebuck upon your recommendation and found it a very inspiring story. I think that us freedom lovers of today should adopt the Spartans' attitude to fight the rampant corruption in our federal government. Now I appreciate every time I hear you say, shields high. Don, I, I am not a big novel reader, really. I'm a, I'm a history guy and a nonfiction guy for books. But I, I, just, I thought Gates of Fire was fantastic. It's a Stephen Pressman novel historical fiction and it's amazing it's just really well written it's just it's great and there's so much in it it's so rich the way he does it so i'm glad you enjoyed gates of fire highly highly recommend it i think you'll anyone else who hasn't read it I will really enjoy it um and thank you for listening great to have a new uh, relatively new listener to the show joseph buck obama says we would not ex- expect the kind of behavior from children if they lost that trump is displaying No, the behavior we wouldn't expect is the kind of crying, kicking, and screaming that the Democrats displayed when they lost the 2016 elections. It bothers me how much they ignore their own actions and they act high and mighty as they condemn people who have behaved far more maturely than they ever did or have. Yeah, Joseph, I mean, that's that's a big part of, I think, the mentality right now that conservatives have around all of this is that we're being kind of lectured by the other side about decorum and how to act. When they are the ones, they are the ones that were marching out in the streets, screaming, not my president and and acting like lunatics and screaming at the sky when Hillary lost in 2016 and took it those many steps further into the Russia collusion hoax, took it those many steps further into pretending something happened that didn't just to make themselves feel better. 
I mean, the, the whole thing is honestly an outrage, but no accountability. No accountability in this whatsoever. They just, they've gotten away. Look, they've gotten away with it. I wish I could say otherwise, but this is what they're doing. This is what they're up to. Pete, is there a place to see a compilation of all these races across the country? How many mayors, governors, representatives, senators, et cetera, from the local to federal level won their Republican races, Democrat or other? Pete, I'm sure there is, but I don't know of one offhand. Um, but there's lots of maps and data crunching and, you know, this is all over the, all over the interwebs now. So you should be able to find it if you Google it up. But if you find a great one, please send it into us and maybe we can share it here on the show, share it on bucksexton.com. But yeah, that is one of the big, uh, outstanding questions here. How is it that Republicans did so well in the house? How is it that Republicans had such a strong showing in other ways, but Joe Biden managed to beat Trump anyway. It's not that it's impossible, but it does raise some questions. It doesn't doesn't prove fraud, but it does indicate that there's something funky. As I like to say, what is that funky smell? We don't know. Why don't we find out? Let's find out what the funky smell is. Right, Producer Mark? Yeah, use a candle. We've discussed this before. Exactly. Huh. Cover up the funky smell with a scented candle. Do you have a favorite? Are you like a uh, a sage and uh, and you know sea salt guy or something? What do you What do you go for? I mean, I, I always like a nice vanilla candle, something like that. I, now I'm just picturing producer Mark and Mrs. Mark's house in New Jersey. Like Enya is always playing in the background, and you guys have you know dim dim lights and uh, and candles going. All right. uh, first of all, I don't own a house yet. Second of all, I mean, what I didn't realize candles were abnormal. No, I like candles. I like you candles. even just, talk about lighting candles in your own no, home. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Well, I don't like the scented ones as much. I just like candles in general. I think that they're they're soothing. But uh, you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of what it's like over at the Casa Casa de Producer Mark. I know? forgot the one we had recently, but it smelled amazing. It wasn't vanilla. It was like some sort of pumpkin spice cheesecake thing, like something like like dessert flavored. Yeah. I mean, I would say we should start a candle called like Essence or Freedom Hut, but it would be the smell left over after you char grill a ribeye after you've cooked bacon on the same pan that morning mixed with a lot of uh, coffee mugs that still have like a coffee ring around them because you haven't cleaned them yet. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really what people need. You know, I can't imagine a lot of cleaning goes on in the Freedom Hut. No, it's I, I need help. Sometimes the good thing is when the Snow Princess comes over for visits. I, I need this to not be like a, a hazmat suit only environment. So I basically turn my my entire domicile into some form of uh, of, you know, content creation. Now, I mean, I've got wires everywhere and cameras and lights and everything else. So I, I try to create little areas of calm. So that's where that's where the candles come in. You know, I create the little little corner. I do have a giant couch that we call old gray and it's way too big for the space. But I don't care because. Two people can comfortably, not uncomfortably, comfortably sleep on this thing at one time. It's an L shape. And I, I got to say, that thing is my salvation, man. You know, at, at the end of the day, it'll just you just fall into it. It's this big, fluffy, gray hug. It's amazing. It's like so. me and my recliner. Yeah. Oh, you got a, is it Lazy Boy? Uh, no, something from like Raymore and Flanagan or something. Yeah, but it's oh. nice. It's, you got to yeah. have your chair. Every, every man's got to have that comfy chair. I do the show. You know, I do radio for anybody who watches the, our, our video cast of it. They'll see it. Uh, I do radio in a chair. This chair that I do it in 
is falling apart. I've had to tape parts of it back together and everything else. But something about this chair is so comfy, you know. And when you find that comfy chair, it's like that comfortable sweatshirt you've had for 10 years that just feels better than all the other sweatshirts. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Rolling on with roll call. Brandy. Buck, is there enough time for these lawsuits brought on by the Trump campaign to play out? What happens if December comes, the states have to make this election official and there's still litigation happening? Uh, Brandy, there are deadlines. There are deadlines for state certification, deadlines for electoral college. And we will have a president by uh, we will have a a president by inauguration day. That's for sure. Um, The system is set up in that way. And if they, they can still be have they can still have lawsuits pending. But if the process continues, unless the judge is going to shut down things like the certification, uh, we're going to it moves along, I, I think, is the answer here. So we will have a president as of January 20th. Uh, and there's a lot of ways this could go. But as I've been saying to you, prepare yourselves, friends, prepare yourselves for the very serious possibility that it is it is Biden who ends up as the president here. I'm not saying give up, but I'm just saying psychologically get ready for that. I don't want you to be, you know, caught unaware. Not, not that you really could be at this point. We all know he's ahead in the electoral count. But I mean, you know, prepare yourself for that psychologically because we might we might be making that switch at some point. And it's disappointing, but that's where we are. We operate here in the real world, right? One of the one of the, the principles of this show, we operate in the world as it is, not as we wish it would be. Chris, hey, Buck, love the show. I listen every day. Great job. Thanks for keeping us posted with the news. Love the Hillary impersonation. You had me rolling with the Hillary Halloween trick or treat. I hear you talking about the Democrat governors and and mayors and how terrible they're handling the COVID deal, calling them out. Don't forget to rip on King Polis, our tyrannical governor in Colorado, and his sidekick, uh, Michael Hancock, the terrible mayor of Denver, who has 10 cities all over, and together they let the peaceful protesters Spray paint the Capitol. It's sad and disgusting. So give them hell. Well, Chris, I'm giving them hell right now. Absolutely. Polis, the governor of California. I mean, of California, the governor of California. That's a different governor. The governor of Colorado is uh, doing a terrible job. And we all know that. And it's a shame that Colorado has become this this state that's blue. Such a beautiful place. So much going for it. But that's the, that's the issue. Democrats, they they leave the the places they've ruined, as we know, and then they want to ruin other places with the same failed policies, the same bad ideas. So that's that's something that we have to find an, an antidote to. We have to find a way to push back against that. Otherwise, we're going to keep on running into the same problems, the same. Same nonsense, friends, that's the show for today. Please pass the buck. Share the podcast with someone in your life. Be like, hey, check out this guy, Buck. And then just text it to him, email it to him. Until tomorrow, Shields High.